1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio
2: app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. We're ready to go with your questions on Southern Remedy at MPB Think Radio. This is the original Southern Remedy where it's open mic most of the time, and that is the case today. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to Frank in Pascagoula in just a minute, but I wanted to call out to somebody else on the coast first who, who we had scheduled and with a very pertinent uh, thing that we all need to know about. So, Frank, if you'll hold on just a minute, we'll get to you. Um, that is Dr. Philip Levin, who is not only an emergency medicine doctor on the coast of long longstanding uh, status, but also has spent a lot of time in the developing world <clears throat> on various mission trips and so forth. And I thought it would be really good... For him to help us make sure we understand what's going on with the waterborne infection problem that is already a major, major problem in areas already flooded and could be a problem in our areas if we have flooding with the upcoming hurricane that sounds like a monster. Hi, Dr. Levin.
3: Hello, Rick. Good to hear from you.
2: Thanks for uh, helping us. So the big thing uh, that I think happens first, and you can help us on this, is that uh, all of the sewers overflow, and we have all this sewage uh, that comes out and is floating around in the water, along with the fire ants and whatever chemicals and other things are in environment. Uh, and then people, for some reason, especially kids, think it's fun. And want to walk around in it what can you get from walking around in contaminated water like that
3: well a lot of things a lot of problems with contaminated water you mentioned of course the contamination from uh from sewage and those uh, coliforms things like salmonella shigella uh, are very common to get into the system those are actually much more dangerous when you're, uh, when you're drinking the water. Contaminated drinking water is a major issue throughout the world, but certainly in these situations like you're talking about are very important. There's also a lot of uh, illnesses you can get without even drinking water, just from contamination. Uh, we commonly think of vibrio, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that today. But there are also things like botulism. Botulism will, uh, go, will enter a body through an uh, open wound as well as to contaminated through the water, and there's several other things. Uh, so it's, it can be a dangerous situation, no doubt
2: about it. Well, that's how we got started with this program with Katrina. We had a lot of people walking around in water and <clears throat> getting injuries, trying to repair their houses and all kinds of things. And especially on the coast, the Vibrio issue, the so-called flesh-eating bacteria thing, was a, a real concern. So uh, traditionally, you can get this even in non-flood periods, if you're walking around in the water, right?
3: That's true. After Katrina, in August of 2005, the CDC reported 22 new cases of vibrio infections in Louisiana, Mississippi. So your comment about, uh, about the flood the Hurricane Katrina is certainly true. It's not that common. Uh, it is certainly more common here on the coast and the Mississippi coast. In uh, 2011, CDC estimated about 8,000 cases of vibrio throughout the United States, uh, and uh, 100 cases of infection. But if you do get an infection with vibrio, it's very serious. About uh, if you get it through the open wound, it's got it about 25 percent mortality. So mm. that, that's serious.
2: So uh, if you, um, what are the signs of uh, the, the 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 basically the red flags? that folks need to know about infections uh, after they've been had water exposure? Is there a particular scenario that would trigger them to get to medical care?
3: Well, it's people get sick, uh, and you'll be able to tell pretty quickly you're sick. Unfortunately, it can be very quick and very fulminant, and also can be very confusing, particularly in, if the physician's not aware that these are these type of symptoms, Um uh, you can get a, a skin rash, for example, a blistering dermatitis. It looks a bit like pemphigus, a pemphigoid, so big old blister type things. Uh, but most of the uh, uh, symptoms are systemic. Uh, they get uh, people get nausea, vomiting, headache, fever, uh, flu-like symptoms. They look quite ill very quickly.
2: Usually, um, usually the lower extremity is involved. That's where the major uh, point of entry is.
3: Absolutely, and you can get it from being stunned too. Like a stingray mm-hmm. uh, will transmit the Vibrio vulnificus. So um, those type of things also as a source infection. Symptoms include abdominal tenderness, agitation, bloody stools, chills, confusion, uh, t- difficulty paying attention, uh, even nosebleeds, severe fatigue. So there are a lot of systemic things, but yes, you can see. You, you can see the uh, rash and the illness on the extremities at the side of the wound. You get what they call a necrotizing wound. with
2: right.
3: a, it starts deteriorating quickly.
2: So we're glad you're on the line, and we'll probably come back to you. Uh, we may have to come back to you more uh, frequently than we'd like to if things get out of hand. And we appreciate your being on, on call, and thank you very much for helping us out on the Vibrio issue. I'll be on
3: call.
2: All right. Thanks. That's Dr. Levin. And he is a practicing emergency medicine doctor on the Gulf Coast. And we appreciate him helping us out today. We're at one mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. It's all things considered. We have lots of open lines today. And we're going to start by going to Pascagoula since we've already talked a little bit about the coast. Let's go to Frank in Pascagoula. Hey, Frank. Hey, good morning. What's happening? Um, I'm having having balance issues, tingly feet, and when I first get out of bed
4: in the morning, I have to fall back into the bed and I get
2: nauseous. Mm. How long has this been going on? About eight months. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, So uh, you're, you're having tingling in your feet too, right?
4: Yes, sir. They're kind of tingly and hot.
2: Okay. So, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, the kinds of things that can cause balance problems. The most commonly, uh, balance problems uh, come from problems in the middle ear that works with the brain at several different levels, including the low part of the brain, the cerebellum, and some of the higher centers to control where you are in space. And the ear has this little device in it, uh, which has little stones in it. And as you move in different directions, the little stones move left, right, up and down, floating in there, and come in contact with nerves that tell you you know, what your orientation is and send signals to help you stand upright or not fall or keep your balance. So... Frequently, this is a middle ear problem, but if you have other symptoms like tingling in your feet, that is a uh, that is a red flag. That means you may have other related problems. And one of the things that we think of very quickly is a condition called pernicious anemia. It is a um, a, a condition where you make antibodies to some of the factors in your in your stomach that allow you to absorb B12, and you develop a peripheral neuropathy with burning and tingling and problems in your feet. And if it if it progresses, and if you don't get it treated, as has been your case for a number of months, uh, it can progress to uh, other symptoms, including problems with balance and orientation, and eventually to confusion. So I think it is very, very important that you see a doctor uh, or other medical provider quickly so that this can be checked out. And of course, there are a whole bunch of other causes of this as well, neurologic problems. Where should you start? I think you should probably start with your primary care doctor that can look at your B12 and folate levels, look at your blood count and do a physical exam on you to make sure you don't need a referral to a neurologist and or brain imaging so that would be my uh, that would be my um, uh, recommendation Uh, now if there are financial issues that have delayed your access there are federally qualified health centers in your area on the Gulf Coast FQHCs that will see you uh, at a reduced rate, depending on what your income is. So you might want to uh, either Google or look in the uh, t- uh, phone book or uh, whatever and find out about these federally qualified health centers. There's there's one uh, that has a network of clinics very near you in Pascagoula. So um, money is not an excuse for getting this not taken care of. Frank, and if you need more information about this, if you'll send us an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org, I'll send you a patient information sheet on this. Now, that all that said, the most important thing that you can do is keep from falling, because uh, especially in older people, falling has a very, very high risk of long-term complications and mortality, so uh, until you get this fixed, you've got to be really careful. No flip-flops, lights in the pathways, no throw rugs, um, and assistive devices like a cane or something until you get this sorted out. Because if you crack your hip uh, or break your neck, we got bigger problems than we started with. So there you go. And I hope that's helpful. Let's go to Sherry and... In uh, Vicksburg, it's all things you want to talk about today on Southern Remedy, one 877 What's going on, Sherry?
0: Thank you, Dr. Rick for taking my call. I'm going to try to make this quick. My husband went to the emergency room on Monday night with a nosebleed. We couldn't get it under control. Okay, so... Uh, they put in the uh the type of no bleed that I mean the thing that looks like a tampon, right? And it blows a balloon in your head, right? Okay, so and then you know they told us after that go to our um you know yep. his regular doctor the next day and you know he would take it out and if it ble- bled then we would have to see an ENT, and they would you know uh, cauterize the veins in it right right okay so. The uh, his primary care physician said he don't do that for us to go back to the emergency room. So in the meantime, he does have an allergy so we called the allergy doctor, and then they uh, got us an appointment with the ENT. All right, so we go to the ENT. He looks, you know, in his nose and everything, but he said he doesn't want to remove it because he don't want it to bleed. So he gave him some antibiotics to take, hmm. and then so. So that was yesterday. Now, so he tells us to come back Monday morning at 8 o'clock, and he'll take it out. So my question is this. In your opinion, do you think that's too long? that he's walking around with this big thing in his nose, his head is hurting, and, you know, so is that too long for that type of thing to stay in? You know?
2: That's pretty long. I'll, I'll agree with you. So let me let me straighten this out a little bit. Um, nosebleeds uh, occur for a variety of reasons. Most of them are uh, you don't know what the cause is. Uh, high blood pressure, if you wait uh, to get nosebleeds from high blood pressure, you'll have a stroke first. So most of the blood uh, bloody noses that we see are related that we know the cause of or from excoriations from people digging in their nose with their fingers because they have allergies like your husband does and rupturing an artery artery or a vein in your nose and uh and bleeding and usually we can get that stopped just by holding your nose usually some pressure on there will stop it and will clot uh when it doesn't uh what we usually do is try to look up there and see if we can find where the problem is and use some silver nitrate uh as an outpatient to to uh cauterize that in your husband's case the bleeding was so severe that couldn't be done and a so-called pack was put in his nose there are anterior packs and posterior packs sounds like he had an anterior pack and was you know it's tied through the back of your throat and pulled around and tied out the string comes out the front and string goes out the back and you tie it in Those are not supposed to be left in for very, very long periods, because they can cause sinusitis, infection of the sinuses, which actually drains in the back of the nose area. So um, I think what he thinks has happened is that uh, there's sinusitis involved, and he's trying to get that cleared up with antibiotics before he pulls the pack. But he does not realize how miserable your husband is, because this is like walking around with, you know, a weenie stuck up your nose. It's terrible. And uh, so I would call him back and say, your husband's miserable. Could you please get get in right now and get the pack either readjusted uh, or taken out? He can put in uh, a smaller pack. The ENT guys have all these tricks that they can do that the emergency room people don't do. And I think it'd be perfectly reasonable, Sherry, since he's so uncomfortable, for you to call him back. And if he can't fix it, call another. Call your allergist back. It's nice you have one, and get a referral to another ENT person uh, for this problem. So I think you're right on target. Thank you for your call. We've got open lines at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and we're going to your house if you give us a call. And first, we're going to go to Canton and talk to Betty. Hey, Betty.
1: Hey, Dr. Rick. Yes, ma'am. My son over a year ago was in an altercation, and he got uh, his eye was, his one eye was injured so badly that he almost went into septicemia because he had it. Oh,
2: sorry. I'm sorry.
1: But UMC was wonderful. I mean, that's the place to go if you have anything. That's where the the EMTs took him because of his eye being involved. Right. what ended up, ha- he ended up with, uh, of course, MRSA and uh, several other things, but they did say he had necrotizing fasci- fasciitis of his eyelid. Mm-hmm. And they had to remove his upper eyelid and a uh, partial part of his lower eyelid. Oh, my goodness. And I just thought that was something you got from being in water that was, you know, contaminated or whatever, and I never. Of course, the people there said if it had been his leg that has cut his leg
2: off, that was okay. what it was. I'm glad you. Was, uh, I'm glad you made that point because yes, uh, I was I hoping think that's
1: something people need to know. Hoping, hoping
2: people, can, somebody would give me the opportunity to explain the difference. So let me do that, uh, Betty. Okay. And, th- and how's your son doing now?
1: He's wonderful. Like I said, he had the best care ever, and he has a wonderful. Uh, Plastic surgeon that redid made him an eyelid out of his the skin on the side of his uh, face. Oh, and wonderful! He, he can close his eyelid now. I mean, he but he went it went you know six months or more before all that finished or
2: oh. the graft. And, and, and I know that but, made you made you very uncomfortable and very yeah, upset. Yeah, and
1: him too. But it, he was just so. And keep his, his vision is fine. I mean, yeah. that was not even a fact Well,
2: let me talk just, about that uh, a little bit. Thank you. Okay. Thank, thank you for your call. And we okay. have open lines at one 877 That's one mpb ring and would love to take your question on any topic. So um, when we talk about, quote, flesh-eating bacteria, there's more than one kind of bacteria that can, um, can cause uh, necrotizing, that means rotting, uh, fasciitis, that means rotting of the skin and tissues underneath there. And that's bad because the tissues underneath there carry the blood vessels and if you have necrotizing fasciitis and you basically kill the top layer of skin or into the subcutaneous tissue then that the bacteria goes right into your blood and can go all over your body, and you end up with a terrible condition called sepsis, which can be fatal. Bacteria just starts growing everywhere and releasing all kinds of bad humors, and it's not something you want to have happen. Uh, we used not to see a lot of necrotizing fasciitis in people who were healthy. But what has happened, and we mentioned a little bit of this last week, and that is uh, so many of the bad bacteria, in particular Staphylococcus aureus, uh, which is on our skin anyway, have become resistant to uh, antibiotics, and they have become very mean. So the staff out there that people are carrying around in their noses, everybody carries staph in their nose episodically is a different kind of staff than it used to be, and it's sitting around waiting for something to go wrong where it can grow like crazy. So if you get a laceration and you're carrying it in your nose, you know, you know that saliva and mucus from your nose is all over your face all the time because we're always putting our fingers in our nose and uh, mouth and everywhere else. So uh, that's where that infection came from, from a bacteria he was carrying in his uh, sinuses or uh, the bacteria was on the hand of the guy who clobbered him. Uh, so one of the two places that's where it came from and it set up shop because the tissue was damaged and went out of control. The, the vulniferous uh, thing that you get on your feet is a waterborne virus. The staph does not tend to be, I mean waterborne bacteria. The staff does not be- tend, to become, tend to be waterborne. Vibrio uh, grows in brackish water, frequently is on shells, and when you step on a shell and get a cut, uh, if you have diabetes, uh, liver disease, or any kind of immune problem, or if you're just unlucky, it goes crazy. And it usually causes lower extremity, swelling, pain, and you get sick from sepsis. So there are two kinds of flesh-eating bacteria, and that's why the one that uh, your son got was uh, on his face. And he is truly blessed to have done so well uh, on that, and we appreciate you calling and giving us that story. And, it's, and in that regard... Uh, we'd love to take your call. I'm sitting here docking the box, waiting for you to give me a buzz. I'm at one eight seven seven i have got lots to talk about, but you don't want to hear that. You want to hear what you want to talk about. So if you give me a call or send me an email, I'll do my very best to give you some accurate information. And we have uh, open lines now, and you will get through. If you call, please don't wait until late in the show. Here is an email from Laura. Thank you, Laura, for this email. I take blood thinner. Do you uh, do you recommend a multivitamin without vitamin K? Uh, well, it depends on what the blood thinner you're on is. The warfarin or Coumadin uh, that people take most often. Uh, affects vitamin K levels. It's, it's an anti-vitamin K drug. So if you uh, take a lot of vitamin K and multivitamins or over-the-counter or you eat a lot of green vegetables that have a lot of vitamin K in it, it totally screws up the ability of the warfarin, Coumadin, to work as an anticoagulant. So that would certainly be the case. Now, some of the newer... Um, uh, oral uh, anticoagulants don't work through that particular system. We don't know whether vitamin K affects them, but we think it's highly improbable it has any significant effect on those newer uh, GATA bands and other uh, oral anticoagulants other than Coumadin. And so it probably wouldn't be a, a, a big deal, but I think you ought to talk to your doctor about this and see what his or her feelings are, because I don't want to be blamed for a problem if it develops. I I don't think there's, if you're eating normally, there's a lot of reason to be taking vitamin K supplement anyway. So I hope that's that's helpful to you. We're going to come back right after this quick break to take your question. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, 672 7464 And we're also going to give you the latest information on the flu shot. And by the way, it's time to get it. The only problem is there's so many of them out there. It it sounds like uh, you know, who knows what. So we'll try to help you. We'll be right back to take your call, 1-877-672-7464.
1: On Mississippi Edition, you'll hear in-depth discussions on the issues that matter to you. we will bring you important news about the state's always changing political climate. You'll hear from community leaders and others working to make a difference. And of course, there'll be stories from the real lives of real Mississippians. So check us out. We're online at mpbonline.org or on the air every weekday morning at 830 right here on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
2: Hey, welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick. We're going to Baidalia in your house. Uh, if you'll give us a call, we have open lines. I'm at one 877 and we're going to be talking to Willis in just a second and you if you'll give us a call. So this year, hmm, there are uh, many, many flu shots, many flu shots uh, available, Uh, and it really does make a lot of difference because you have to take which one your insurance provides or which one the drugstore has, but even so, it can be confusing, and I want to try to help you a little bit. The only live flu vaccine is a nose spray, and uh, it used to be used for kids, and the Centers for Disease Control recommend you totally avoid that. It's no good. Don't let anybody give it to you. It doesn't work. So nasal spray flu vaccine, no, 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 no. We're not going to use that this year. Uh, There are, the next step is there are trivalent flu vaccines and quadrivalent. That means there's three, uh, three uh, f- strains of flu. You know, the, they give you multiple strains trying to figure out which one you need to make antibody to to protect yourself. And then there's a quadrivalent flu shot. And uh, there's no data to suggest that one is better than the other. Uh, I always try to get the quad because I'm cheap. If I can get four uh, for the same price as three, I want four. But uh, it depends on what's available in your area and what your provider is given. Now, there are two caveats this year. One has to do with eggs, and the second has to do with being old, like Dr. Rick. So here's, here's the, those caveats. If you're egg allergic, there is a special vaccine. It's a recombinant trivalent uh, vaccine, which is egg-free And it's approved for people 18 years or older. And so if you've had an allergic reaction, I'm not talking about threw up. I'm talking about hives, itching, all kinds of allergy-type symptoms, then that's available for you. It's a recombinant trivalent shot, okay? There is a high-dose trivalent shot for people 65 years or older, And there is a trivalent flu shot with an adjuvant, which makes the thing work better uh, for seniors. And so that's very uh, confusing, right? Which one should you take if you're a senior? Well, you're probably not going to have a choice. You may, more likely than not, will get the high-dose trivalent shot. Uh, I don't know anybody who is using the trivalent adjuvant shot because I think it's more expensive. Now, we don't even know whether the high-dose vaccine or the trivalent vaccine works any better than the plain vaccine for seniors. Uh, you know, you'd think it would, but we don't really have good data on that. So if you don't can't get hold of any vaccine, please just get the vaccine. And uh, it, it's time to start getting that. You want to get it before October for sure. And uh, the flu really kicks in around the holidays. So that's when you want to be ready and you give your immune system a chance to get going. Anybody who is six months older older needs to be flu-shotted. So there you go. Let's go to Vidalia and Willis. Hey, Willis. Hey, how you doing today? I'm better since you called. I was getting lonely.
5: <laughs> okay, well, what what the situation I got? Okay, I, I sweat very 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 bad, and I sweat so much in my to my feet when I be I cut grass sometime and I'm at my house and I sweat real bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got a cut under my two little toes, and seem like when it get almost well, like then I sweat so much, and for so my feet sweat so much they stay moisture up under my little toe. I can't seem like to get it to get well. Mm-hmm. Okay, one time, it was, uh, they gave me, to, I went to the doctor for it. He told me to use some of the stuff like they put on the baby tongue, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. And I
5: used that for a while, but it didn't seem like it helped me. I got, boy, I swear I still sweat.
2: Okay, right let me now. let me get some questions. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Okay. Uh, how did you cut your foot?
5: Okay, no, it's a, you like, you like, you you know, your feet, they get that, like if you walk in grass and have a little cut on your toe. Uh
2: huh. Is it a crack or is it a cut?
5: It's a crack. It's it's, it's cracked on both my little toes.
2: Uh Uh-huh. So you have dry feet, even though you sweat, and your feet are cracked. Is that right? Right. Okay. Do you have any redness or pain or pus around the crack?
5: No, it just just be cracked. Okay. All right. So
2: your problem is not that you have a cut or an infection, but you just have crack feet, and right. what you need to do is get you a foot balm, foot, B-A-L-M. Wow. They're at all drugstores, and what they are is high-powered grease that softens the skin there and lets that heal. What's happening is exactly what you're saying, is when your feet sweat, it, uh, it actually dries out those areas worse so I would try the foot balm. You got to be careful when you put it on. You need to put your socks over it, or you'll slip and fall because it's greasy. Uh, mm-hmm. Just follow the in- instructions. There's three or four of them, and they're all pretty good. At uh, any of the drug stores, have these, and they're not real expensive. And if that does not get well, then you need to see a podiatrist because you may need to have that uh, whole area sort of file down and get that thick skin off of it where it can heal. And that's a podiatrist, P-O-D-I-A, podiatrist, a foot doctor. And uh, so that's what you need to do, Willis. It's a very common problem, and I sympathize with you. I really would get a lot of cheap socks and change my um, shoes, uh, my socks, very frequently during the day when they get wet. Just throw them in the washing machine. You may need to wear three or four a day till this gets cleaned up. Okay?
5: Right. Yeah. Now, what's the name of it? foot bomb, F O T.
2: Huh? B-A-L-M. Just go to the druggist when you go in there and say, I need a foot bomb for cracked feet. Will you okay. please go over and show me where it is and right. make them go. And they, they probably will have a favorite. Uh, there's right. three or four of them. And okay. and but d- don't just look for yourself. Get the pharmacists to help you. That's what they're trained to do. That okay?
5: Yes, sir. I All right.
2: You. Well, thank you for your call. We yeah, appreciate it. Welcome. And let me know if that doesn't get well, and I'll uh, try to steer you in the right direction. Okay?
5: All
2: right. You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm here with our producer, Jay White, the famous athletic expert, and our call streamer. Who's that, uh, Jay? Call screen. We got Jared Hallman. It's not really office. a call screener; it's a call helper. They basically tell you don't hang up. So give give Jared a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Laurel and Thomas. Hey hey Thomas, what's going on with you?
4: Hey doctor, how you doing? Um, occasionally, for about three to four days in a row, I'll wake up with double vision. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's right when I wake up, and it takes a while, and it kind of fades, and then the vision will come back together at one, and I can see normally again. Mm-hmm. But I've been having this has been happening for about a year, and it will last, you know, sometimes one, two days, but then sometimes, you know, three, four, five days.
2: Yeah. Do you have a headache with it or not?
4: Mm-hmm. I, I don't really know that I have a headache every time with it. Yeah, uh, it it's, may maybe a bit, but it's, you know, it's not from drinking or anything like that. I don't drink. Uh, I do have a high stressful job, and I do stay up late mm-hmm. I do paperwork a lot. But it doesn't seem to always correlate with that.
2: Well, the biggest problem I, that I think uh, needs to be sorted out is whether or not you have glaucoma, which is uh-huh. an increased intraocular pressure, and uh, that is glaucoma. The most common symptom of glaucoma is nothing uh, until you start going blind from it. Uh, right. it, sort of, it sort of grabs up on you, and you, it frequently runs in family, and it's caused, uh, famous, it's caused by a problem with the drainage of fluid out of your eye and orbit. It's a, a bad sewer problem, and it's difficult yeah. to fix. And your doctor can give you eye drops. You check the eye pressure and give you eye drops. It could be something uh, different, but you need a complete eye exam, and you need to get that quickly, and you need to go to an MD ophthalmologist, not an optometrist, for this because some neurological testing needs to be done uh, that may require some equipment or referrals that they don't have. So I would get myself to an ophthalmologist very quickly, and you have some in Laurel, so that shouldn't be a problem, okay?
6: Okay, sounds good, doctor. I appreciate that. All right,
2: I hope that's helpful. Thanks for your call. Uh, we have open lines at one 672 7464 and we're going to Bay Springs. Hey, Jenny. Hey. What's happening with you?
3: Well, I've been having, I've had, I'm 67, I've never had any problems, health problems, uh, and I've had. Uh, had two seizures, mm. and um, what I'm wondering is, they all occur, well, they all, the, both of them have occurred after I've been to a Walmart, the Laurel Walmart, and I've had several instances of uh, auras there,
5: mm-hmm. you know,
3: and I didn't know what it was, I do now, but I didn't, Understand it for a long time, and I kept. But I've been to the neurologist and had all the tests done, and he said I was normal. But um, I'm just thinking, would there be a connection between that Walmart?
2: Okay, well, I have all kinds of funny reactions when I go to Walmart too, so you're not alone. But I've never had a seizure. Well, they, I,
3: they happen late at night.
2: Yeah, you know, I think then. that's unlikely. Uh, I, I, I think that's probably serendipitous. The onset of epilepsy, which is a seizure disorder in an adult, uh, is uh, it requires a, a workup to make sure you do not have some coexistent problem. Uh, brain tumors frequently do not present uh, as seizures. So there are other kinds of neurological things that have to be looked after. So I am so glad that you've gotten to a neurologist and uh, have a good report. There are three classes of seizure medicines uh, that you uh, need to be on one of. And uh, the one that I like, you can actually measure the blood levels and uh, see what's going on so no I would not uh, I, I I don't think that's it uh, it would have to be something reportable in a medical journal or some other place if it was Walmart related uh, I do think that stress can induce uh, uh, seizures in some people uh, so you need to keep your stress level down as much as possible Going to Walmart is not a stressless uh activity, but until you get your level correct that may be it may be a good idea to uh order online. You know, they'll they'll fill your fill your order now online for not that much more than going there and you just pick it up in the back. So there's another suggestion I bet you didn't think of. If you need to know more about seizures in adults, just drop me an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org, and I'll send you more than you want to read about it because we have a lot of patient information stuff on that. And I appreciate your call. Let's go to Florence and Roger. Hey, hey, Roger, what's happening in Florence?
4: Well, I've got a diagnosis that I'm going to get a second opinion on, but I do not have uh, autoimmune deficiencies. But I have a diagnosis of MAC, uh-huh. and if I can pronounce it, I think it's Mycobacterium Avium Complex. S- yeah, and so it's based on about five months of coughing, all sorts of efforts to you know address nasal drainage and and uh, uh, reflux and all kind of had antibiotic treatments and all that. So nothing's worked. But I, so I finally, had well, I had X-ray, I had uh, CT scans, chest and neck, and uh, uh, X-rays, and let's see, what else? Uh, bronchoscopy, and during the bronchoscopy, they flushed out some stuff, you know, and and had it sent it off, and it came back, and it said mac. Mm-hmm. So now I'm headed, and that took four months, uh, or a little more, I guess, and so now I'm headed for a rather uh, rigorous. Uh, treatment regimen that uh, is really kind of scary. So I've done some research, and I, I've just discovered that it it really is considered rare. Well, I may be wrong on this, but that's the source that I got. Rare uh, among uh, uh, my class of folks. Yeah. And uh, and so it's rare, and so I want to be sure I've got the right diagnosis now. I, I've talked to the nurse of my doctor, and good doctors, these are all at university, and they, but it took them a long time to figure it out, and it's all based on, the diagnosis is entirely based on, aha, uh-huh, the the uh, report that came back on the uh, sample.
2: Mm-hmm. So. Okay, that, well, let on, me talk about that a little bit.
4: I want a second opinion on the sample. I think before we start this stuff because there's some scary side effects of these medications.
2: Yeah, those those uh, those medicines do have side effects. Uh, <clears throat> Microbacterium avian, avium intracellulari is what is called an atypical tuberculosis organism, and uh, it's uh, it is especially seen in people who have pre existing lung problems. Uh, Like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease from smoking, and uh, presents with a cough and and some uh, coughing up blood, very much like TB does. A regular TB. The the good thing about it is it's usually uh, fairly easy to clear up, and uh, it can be a um, it can the big problem in trying to figure out. Uh, whether to treat it or not, is whether or not uh, it is the cause or it is just a commensal. It just happens to be living in there now, and uh, because sometimes people have this growing in their sputum, and they're not really in, infected or inflamed from it. For instance, we sometimes grow that out in people who have lung cancer and it doesn't have anything to do with the symptoms they're having. Your particular story sounds like it probably uh, is, uh, was the cause of your problem, and uh, we don't really know uh, exactly the, the perfect way to treat it. Uh, but uh, combination uh, treatment with uh, antibiotics – is, uh, is the thing that has the most data behind it. And uh, in order to get a second specimen, uh, it might be necessary to do another, uh, another bronchoscopy, which you wouldn't want to do unless you had to. Uh, however, sometimes it can be uh, grown with induced sputum, in which they have you inhale uh, saline, and it makes you cough, and you can cough it up. Um uh, so uh that that would be your way to get a second specimen, but I will tell you, uh if you've already been treated with antibiotics and you're still having symptoms uh and you have this growing more likely than not, that probably is the issue and uh so uh the the people who are treated with anti Uh, TB medicines get very, very close follow-up and lots of blood work. I don't know of anyone who has had fatal hepatitis or any of the other numerous uh, potential complications of this that has actually been followed carefully. So uh, it's clear that you have lots of specialists, and I think it probably would be a good idea Uh, for you to get a second opinion from another pulmonary uh, specialist uh, since you are concerned about this. But I think you're going to come up with a recommendation to at least have a course of therapy, and you will figure out fairly quickly if it was the cause of your problem because all those symptoms will significantly improve. Now, the other thing is I know that they got an HIV test, Uh, because we do see this a lot in people with HIV infections. So make sure that was done. I'm not suggesting there's anything uh, funky going on with you, but it is possible to get HIV from blood transfusions and other things. And we do see that uh, occasionally in uh, older folks. So make sure that test was done. And if you want some more information about that, I'll be happy to send you uh, an email patient information sheet on Mac. Just drop me an email at southernremedympbonline.org, and I appreciate very much your call. Let's go to Petal and Rodney. Hey, Petal. uh, Hey, Rodney, are there flesh-eating bacteria in uh, pedal?
6: Not far from pedal, Dr. Rick. Uh Uh-oh. I wanted to uh, reiterate uh, what you mentioned earlier. My wife and I were fishing in the Gulf Coast about a month and a half ago. She reaches in a bait bucket to get a shrimp, it's pricked on the back of the hand. Mm. Nothing major, just the horn of a shrimp. Uh-huh. Uh, and about uh, 10 hours later, fever, chills, nausea, hand swollen, we go to the emergency room. And uh, the emergency room doctor's not sure, but a surgeon walks in, looks at her hand, says, Take her to the operating room. I'm going to try to save her arm. Mm. Uh, he operates, uh, I think, twice in two days. And. Uh, stayed in the hospital uh, 13 days Oh my goodness plastic surgery and the cultures came back vibrio vulnificus.
2: Yeah uh, I'm so sorry
6: Well you know the good news is she's uh, got her arm and all that but the thing is uh, they say you know if you have a suppressed immune system don't go in the water uh, if you have a cut or bruise she had none of those factors whatever hmm. and still got infected hmm. uh, this this stuff is rare but it is bad news and it kills and injures a lot more people every year than sharks do
2: (laughs) right absolutely Uh, and I really appreciate you calling to alert us to that because the reason she was able to get through this is she got quick therapy that is the key and what they have to do is you're an expert on this now because not only have you been through it you've read about it they have to cut uh, open the wound to let oxygen get to it and to debride any dead tissue, because as it grow- goes up your arm, it kills off the tissue and that just makes more of it grow. It's it's a monster. And That's
6: exactly what they did. They had to. It was on the back of her hand, but they had to uh, cut her arm almost up to her elbow and uh, wide open and to debride, as you say and uh, then had to go back and do it a second time. But the key is, and they kept uh, preaching this, is uh, quick attention. They said if we were a few hours later, she could have lost her arm, or if we had waited a day, she could have lost her
2: life. Right, right. Well, bless you for calling in. We appreciate that, and we're glad that she did so well. And that surgeon who happened to walk through the emergency room, uh, there's another blessing for you, and I hope you'll remember him. Get your wife to remember him at Christmas with a a chocolate cake or pie, because all surgeons like chocolate. I don't know why that is, but there's some internists that like it, too. Okay, let's go to Jackson and Melissa. Hey, Melissa.
1: How are you?
2: I'm good. What's happening?
1: I've got a daughter, uh fifteen year old teenage daughter who is, perspires profusely on uh-huh. her arms. Uh-huh. And she's very self conscious about it as you can imagine. She we tried the clinical strength deodorants from the grocery store and her pediatrician has given us something I can't remember the name of it that you sort of dab on uh-huh. sponge. And that's worked once, but it's not working now. Is there anything we should be trying or Doing or where we, can we go to find? She, as you can it's mean, almost like a nervous tick now, checking her arms every forty seconds.
2: That's called hyperhidrosis. There's a name for it. It's not that uncommon. And my recommendation uh, on this is to uh, take her to a dermatologist. They are uh, really turned on by this. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, but but they, they really get excited, uh, and they have tricks that the average pediatrician like me doesn't have. Now, okay. the big problem is with BO is that it reflects a bacterial infection, and that's the only reason that you get a bacterial overgrowth on your arms. not an infection. It's normal skin bacteria. So it is possible uh, to... Uh, not use a uh, deodorant and not get BO if you, you know, wash yourself. In some cases, we actually have to use a topical antibiotic under the arm, but we don't like that. And once you've gone through the prescription-strength any antiperspirants, you're really into an area where, you know, there are all kinds of other options. One of them that works is botuli, uh, botuli, botulism toxin, you know, Botox. That uh, That is being used, and a lot of the dermatologists love this. It's not fun to have that stuck under your arm, uh, but it it does work, and it works for months. And there are some other therapies that they have, too, that are new, that are coming out. So that would be my recommendation. I know how embarrassing this is. And, uh, and if you want some more information on this, uh, you can also, by, by the way, ablate the, the uh, glands under the arms. That I don't like that. It, you can use uh, microwave, surgery, all kinds of other things. I don't think that's what you need to do. I think you need to see your dermatologist and start there. Hey, we appreciate everybody listening today, and we appreciate your listening in particular. Uh, Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting sponsored by an unrestricted grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by donors to Mississippi Public uh, Radio, like you. We'll see you again, same time, same place, next week, and uh, appreciate your listening to our program.